0: This is the Glowing Older Podcast, hosted and produced by Nancy Griffin and Catherine Lord. We curate this podcast to feature leaders in the business of aging well, who provide services and products that help us all glow older. Learn more about us and our coaching work at glowingolder.com. Hello, and welcome to the Glowing Older Podcast, where we interview experts on innovation, in the aging well space. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so pleased to be here today with Sarita Mohanty, president and CEO of the Scan Foundation. Welcome to the show, Sarita. Thank you so much, Nancy.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Well, thank you for making time in your busy schedule. So before we dig into all that you're doing today, tell us about your background
1: yeah. so i um I am a physician by background. I, uh, I still practice as an internal medicine physician. And, you know, I think this this career path that I've been on has really, and, and as starting as a physician has really helped me see, you know, the challenges of older adults and people with disabilities and family caregivers. um you know, really saw a lot of fragmentation and lack of care coordination. And even a lack of a seamless focus on the individual. So I think that my background and in um, my career has helped get me to where I am today. Which is now I joined. I'm the president and CEO of the Scan Foundation. I joined in 2021, and really, with to me, it was a great opportunity to apply my background. Uh, to think about lower-income, older adults, those with uh, that are part of communities of color, or those in underrepresented geographies, uh, to really look at system change. And you know, our organization is is rooted in in my purpose, which is to improve the health and well-being of vulnerable populations. So, uh, yeah, and I, I've I've had a career in health plan. Um, I worked at uh, public. Payer areas uh, like um, LA Care Health Plan, uh, where we worked on care management for Medicaid populations, and with Kaiser Permanente an Integrated System, where I worked on Medicaid and dual eligible work as well. So, really, this is all part of my journey um, as a physician, as a researcher, as a a payer um, executive.
0: That's so amazing. I love I love hearing about your background. Um, so I, um, for most people, um, just that the, um, the listeners out there that aren't in the industry in the aging world, as they call it, some of them, um, may not be familiar with the um, breadth of activities, initiatives of the scan foundation. So give give us a little rundown of the history
1: of the scan foundation and some of the things that the organization has accomplished. So the SCAN Foundation was uh, created in 2008 as an independent public charity that was uh, developed to to really serve older adults and to improve the health of older adults. And I think over the years, in the last 15 years, it's about really ensuring that we, you know, all of us, you know, when we think about aging, all of us age well with purpose. And um, the 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 root of this is of the work at the foundation as a grant making and impact investing organization is that we we're we're trying to figure out how our current why our current aging system our infrastructure does not serve all Americans equitably. Uh, we need you know we think we believe we firmly believe we need more inclusive policies. You know enhanced private sector investments more integrated community supports that really ensure enable us to have a more equitable and accessible system of care. So that's really the foundation of the work of our organization. And so uh, I think I alluded to that we we are focused on supporting older adults of color with lower incomes and those living in rural communities who have been historically marginalized or underserved. and uh, we're looking at being bold taking bold steps in aging uh when we think about aging it's aging for all of us we don't have an actual number of like age of okay we're only t- targeting 65 and older we think about aging and you know is a- in all stages for all ages um so how do we make sure that once you are in an older adult, that you are living with purpose, that you are getting the supports you need. So that's some of the things that we are working on, being innovative, thinking about things that can scale. Not only we do focus on work in California, but we also are a national organization. So we seek to um, scale innovative uh, programs and uh, policies and investments. Nationally, so then that could range from uh, in innovations in financial security and housing as well. You know, some of the statistics that I just want to mention that over fifty um, percent uh, of unhoused are those fifty and older in this country, and the the rate of increase of unhoused among older adults is rising. I think the other thing is that by by in the next uh, years, next 10 years, we will have more adults than children in this country. So we and and there's not enough supports and we can talk more about that. But I think these are some of the things about our work that we are embarking on. It's about models of care, how we make sure that financial security exists for older adults so they can age in home and community. Making sure there's inclusive technology um, representation in data and technology, so that technology solutions are not being created um, inequitably, and then just really addressing health disparities and access to quality care.
0: That's a great segue um, into my next question because I was surprised the more I dug into senior living, aging services, ageism, all those kind of issues, uh, that almost all the studies that would come out would say like. OK, this is an outcome for um, for white, the white population and then some of the, the colored populations that the outcome would be different. Um, and some of that was um, income related. Some of it has to do with with, um, uh, you know, other issues that you can explain to me. But explain to our listeners some of the most blatant inequities you see when it comes to uh, health and wellness Type of access in underserved populations.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is a really important conversation that you know our foundation is aiming and continuing to elevate because I think this is a a, a crisis or a critical uh, area of focus for when we think about aging older adults. So I'll, I'll give a couple of examples of um, to answer your question. One, one of the things we've been doing is working with and um, a very renowned researcher named Mark Dr. Mark Cohen from UMass Boston, uh leading age. And uh he's worked with the, the health and retirement survey data to better understand how well the healthcare system is meeting a person's needs. And some of the things that he found is that while nearly three-quarters of US adults age 50 and older feel that their care um Care preferences were always or usually considered by health care providers in 2020, um, uh, a 9.5 percent increase over 2014 figures. There remained so if you think about that, even though there was some increase in that, there was stark racial, economic, and geographical inequities. For instance, Hispanic and Black adults were less likely than white adults to report having their care preferences Always or usually considered by clinicians, so that is um, a, a stark figure, an important figure or figures that we should we should recognize. Other findings found that in, in this analysis showed that older adults from lower income backgrounds, those in the South, and those without a usual source of care or care provider were less likely to have their care preferences considered. So, again, re- reaffirming or affirming that that these these differences exist. I think the other thing is income matters. We know that adults 50 plus with household incomes less than 30,000 were less likely to say their care preference was always or usually considered. So that gets to um, my comment earlier. Uh, We talked about geography, that we're seeing differences between the South compared to other regions of the country. And relationships matter. This is another one I just want to mention. Adults 50 plus with a usual source of care. Uh, like a primary care doctor reported an increase in their care preferences um um being u- uh, care preferences being usually always considered so like what they found is that they, they are seeing that these relationships are really important. Having a usual source of care really matters. So these were some of the things that we're, we're, we're elucidating further in our analysis. One of the things as our, founda- our foundation is doing is trying to gather these data and really elevate it and say, okay, what are the solutions we need to address, uh, 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 bring forth to address these challenges?
0: So true. And um, it occurs to me that a lot of things you're talking about um, with not having care Preferences respected is just the larger issue of respect, and a lot of um, lack of respect comes from the ageism side of things, and the the cultural industry wide, you know, ageism. Part of that gets people to buy into this uh, scenario of dread, yes, <laughs> if you will of inevitable decline. So we've had um, in our last conversation, um, we we both agree um people don't want to talk about aging so can you elaborate from your side on that and and perhaps offer some some
1: uh, some sort of solutions <laughs> well I, yeah and i think this is you the 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 topic and and the ongoing ageism you just reference is is real significant, and I think this is. Um, I think to your point, like, how what are some of the solutions? So, a couple of things that you know I, I've witnessed, and I think we're witnessing, uh, you know, in the aging landscape or with with philanthropic organizations and other folks, is that the the narrative on aging is starting to shift. Um, But nationally or even internationally, it's often still wrought like with this stigma and discomfort. You talked about this about among the, you know, not even just the decision makers, but the general public. And I think um, I think we need to think um, at the heart of this discomfort. uh, um, There are things that we absolutely can and need to solve. So we got to think about this. So, first of all, we need to get to get to a point where all older adults are consistently viewed as valued actively contributing members of our communities rather than framing them as a burden you hear this word caregiving burden other burdens what are how do we start to flip the language or or, or you know so that we think about the purpose and the positivity and the things that you know older adults bring to the communities you know the wisdom the the institute the knowledge the experience the there's so many facets so um that's one i think and i think i think the big issue is that not, and not and until our systems of care are easy to access are affordable and equitably delivered i think this issue of not wanting to think or talk about it is going to continue to remain so that's one yeah. i think so what we're doing is we're working with others to begin to shift that national dialogue Decision makers, elected officials, policymakers, um, and talk about like also how do we need to invest better in older adults so that and, and so that they can contribute effectively to the society to our society as they as they can. Um, I'll give you an, another example like, um, of, of reframing aging. The, Nas- the gerontological society of America, GSA, with funding from the Scan Foundation and other foundations focused on aging created the National Center to Reframe Aging. And this is a long-term social change endeavor. This is designed to improve the public's understanding of what aging means and the many ways older adults can actually contribute to our society. Um, They've developed tools and training to help reduce ageism. Uh for example, and this is a great one uh, in Boston, they created a slogan for their senior transportation program. They call it transporting Boston's most experienced people. That's how they reframed it. And this is something that um uh, we felt very compelled to help support uh to advance the the reframing aging dialogue. And so and that that some of that reframing is happening in state plans multi-sector plans for aging across the country where like in California we have this mpa or um what they call the master plan for aging to to reframe aging so there that it has, it has to start um at at these levels and i i think the narrative is changing but we have more work to do
0: yeah, I mean, you hit on um, several of the points of what the World Health Organization says um, are needed to overcome ageism. One our own internalized perceptions. Two, being you know policy and all those things that you you said are are more of a slower slower turning wheel, if you will. Uh, but then the third one was intergenerational connections, and I know that you do that intentionally at the Scan Foundation, and that that's a a core concept um for you guys. So talk to me about that,
1: yeah. So we uh, have done, you know we as we're going in our through our work or um on our journey to uh, build more equitable solutions for older adults and aging, we think we have to be extremely intentional about intergenerational relationships. So, for example, uh, we are we are funding, we're going you know, which will be starting in January These communities, we're calling them equity community organizing groups, eco groups. And these are communities that are being funded in like local geographies to say, okay, we have this issue that is really contributing to the grave inequities in aging, whether it's transportation, it could be housing, there's a number of things that, and and they're going to focus on one, but we have. encourage them they're going to be doing convenings with stakeholders in their community and you got to bring the younger you know the 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 gen zers the millennials all these folks to the table to address this issue and that's that's so that intergenerational concept is or approach is going to be very critical there's an organization called uh cogenerate used to be called encore.org that is yeah. really and in, uh, investing, and in, and we're working with them as well. They're key advisors and partners with us to bring that intergenerational focus as well. And uh, it sounds like you know about them because they, you know, Eunice Nichols, who's their executive, has really with Mark Friedman has done some really amazing work through AmeriCorps and um, and and other things to to really bring bridge the intergenerational um, gap. I would say. So that's another thing. Uh, there is another model that um, is evolving that I just learned about. It's called uh, CareHouse. Um, it's uh, older adults and people with disabilities, as well as caregivers and their families live in independent living units, which are clustered around shared spaces in exchange for labor, for caregiving, receiving good wages, childcare, other benefits. We are seeing more and more of this. Um, emerging, and we think this is a really important model, and and other models similar to look at as we go forward and um, at, address the aging crisis. And I, won't, you know, we don't even probably have time to talk about the fact that part of the challenge we're we're, we're facing is there's not enough workforce to support the growing aging demographic, and so these intergenerational constructs are going to be really really critical.
0: Yes, and and meeting the workers where they are, and and I think you you touched on this a little bit earlier, but the older workers, it's like how you know how can you make things doable for for that, and and at least appreciate they have something to bring to the table. So I think one of the things that's often forgotten in the intergenerational thing is is the benefit that the younger people get that are also especially post COVID having um, loneliness and
1: social isolation challenges absolutely yeah this is uh this has such potential benefit for all the things you mentioned i mean so many of our older adults are dealing with loneliness and social isolation and this you know these type of intergenerational models and contributing both directions you know um with with younger contributing to older adults and you know engaging them and i like yesterday i was at a meeting where there was a lot of talk about um the intergenerational engagements so for example like um organizations are coming up with game games board games that are um that that uh, that not only are for youth but also bring other generations and older adults so that they can they can play together and connect better and engage better. So there's a, there's a lot of work ahead, going on in in the industry that we have to be a, 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 keep attuned to. One of the last things that
0: I really want to focus on and, and get um some of the challenges and some of the solutions that you're working on is um this forgotten middle which is you know the 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 real um strapped economically the people that are strapped economically and have basically run out of money can find support but if you can't afford long-term care if you don't have the right resources in place but you have just a little bit too much money then you get in that forgotten middle place so um sarita talk please talk to me about that
1: yeah so the forgotten middle uh, is you know and you may hear it as the missing middle or the middle market um these are your low to middle income older americans who don't qualify for medicaid um uh, which covers long term care um which is you know that the medicaid side. and then you have the the they're between that medicaid population and the ones that um can af- uh, can pay privately so the higher income so they're in that middle bucket and these are typically your medicare only older adults who th- Oftentimes, a lot, a huge proportion, or a significant proportion of Medicare individuals believe that they have long-term care coverage through Medicare, and they don't. So this is a big issue. Uh, Medicare only covers 100 days of long-term care, and and so people often are when they need help and supports at home, they they have to rely on their assets to pay for it. And the question becomes, do they have enough assets to pay for their? You know home and to live comfortably in their home or even get assisted living so we actually in the forgotten middle population we've worked with some uh with the north with national opinion research center norc at the university of chicago and we did some research this past year which showed uh worsening health and economic trends among this demographic this forgotten middle which is really concerning and so i'll, I'll um uh, you know, and they actually even get worse, quite honestly, when you take um when you segment out people of color and aging adults with disabilities. So some of the things that we found, some alarming trends in this forgotten middle population, black and Hispanic seniors in the forgotten middle have fewer liquid assets and less home equity, making it even more difficult to afford housing and those care options that they need that align with their needs and preferences. Um, So that's a big issue. There seems to be a lot um, higher rates of health complications among Black and Hispanic seniors, um, likely increasing their need for um, additional care. And I think overall, you know, if you look at just the totality of that forgotten middle population, we're finding, you know, if you exclude home equity, nearly uh, two-thirds to three-fourths of older adults are not going to be able to pay for um assisted living if you go if you project out to 2033 that forgotten middle population. So we are um, that, and 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 so then, what is going to what is going to happen to them? So these are these are some real challenges, and the solutions I'll just say very briefly is that we are aiming to inform, you know, first of all, raise attention to this forgotten middle population um, through and 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 really describe this to the policymakers, whether it's on the hill or through our master plan for aging in California, to say we need some um, long term care benefit options for this population. Uh, one example that Washington State has done, that they have a, 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 a model where you can, through payroll tax, it's like a, a buy-in or like a payroll tax option, where it saves some money for long-term care, so you have additional um, dollars when you need them um, in your later years. Now, 30-some thousand dollars that get saved annuals probably not is not gonna be enough sometimes to cover uh, like a assist, like a nursing facility that could cost over a hundred thousand a year. So these are the kind of things that we're advancing. And California is also doing some um, actuarial work right now to determine what kind of long term care benefit might be feasible for this forgotten middle. So some examples, but we're really um, trying to alert, you know, educate and then inform solutions through this education.
0: Yeah. Well, I I love the undertaking because it's it is truly you know the. The largest uh, hole in the whole equation is it's like, um, you know, watching a car accident coming in slow motion, isn't
1: it? It's yeah. And again, with the demographic shift that you're seeing more and more people are going to be needing those resources to live in their home and community. And right now, projected why, if you look at the projections, they're not going to be able to afford it. And then it's not only we didn't have time to talk about the the caregiving Aspect the people, the caregivers, the, fa- the challenges they face because they have, you know, they they can't hire somebody or their parent can't hire somebody to come to their home is a big big issue that we have to address too.
0: So true, and one of the things we say at Glowing Older and the, the you know the coaching side of it is this whole concept of as as a care partner that you wear your own oxygen mask first, but it seems like caregiving, it's like because it's so. Um, it always happens, or I should say, almost always happens in a crisis and, um, you know, it depletes people and, and it moves the needle to a point where they're like, how did I get here? <laughs> uh, so yes, the caregiver, I and mean, we could do a whole other podcast on just that. And then the caregivers that have kids, you know, go into getting rid of your college and spouse and, you know, it's, it's a lot. Absolutely. Um, But um, Sarita, what gets you most excited these days?
1: Well, I, I, you know, honestly, you know, I I first I'm very passionate about, um, you know, improving the lives and building purpose for our populations, particularly the more historically marginalized and lower income older adults. And I think it's the opportunity to be kind of in front of us to do a much better job. Uh, to to, to help this population. And um, I'm really excited because we are, you know, we and many others, partners, we are working on partnering with communities to help drive the solution. So we're not going in with a top-down approach as a philanthropic organization, or when I worked at a health plan to say, community, we know your problem. You know, go here's how we're going to fix it. We're asking the community to engage. We want their experiences. We want their voice. We want their shared we, we call it shared power, where we work together to really um advocate for and 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 de- you know define those solutions. So that's what really excites me to really build community partnerships. And and I'm also really excited because um, I, I see our foundation and many other constituents, but, um, you know, really influencing a, a new national dialogue on these topics. Um, so we're not and we're not just talking about them, but we're, we're lifting up these solutions that we're seeing happen and and how do we scale them? So, uh, you know, I'm really I think I think especially with the um, upcoming elections, you know, this is an opportune time for us to elevate These topics, and I think our our foundation has a big role to play. We 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 have an obligation to to support our older adults and the society as a whole. So I'm excited about this work. It's not easy, but um, but thrilled to be in this role and on this journey.
0: Well, Sarita, I couldn't think of anyone better than you. Um, you're obviously uh, and have so many projects underway and um, what a huge undertaking, but it's, it's people like you that see the bigger picture that are going to move the needle for this uh, population. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Nancy,
1: thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure.
0: You have been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. For more information about our planning and coaching services, visit glowingolder.com.